0: Just um, to take a quick straw poll, um, how many of us in the past forty hours have consciously thought of Christ's return in some way? Yep, one. Okay, that's about right. I think this demonstrates too as the problem that we have when approaching a passage like this this morning. Largely, any consideration of Christ's return is is kind of neglected in the church today. And, and I don't say that to say, do you know, how dare you not be thinking about this on a daily basis, Do you know, because we don't like particularly to think about Christ's return because there's a lot of stuff tied up in discussions about Christ's return and discussions about the rapture and discussions about what will happen at the end of the world that, that we don't really like to think about because ultimately we're not too sure what is going to happen. Now, I I will not lie to you. I occasionally do think about the rapture because I will um, be in the house and Fiona will be somewhere else in the house and I will go upstairs and I'll go into the room that I think she's in. She's not there and I can't see her and I can't hear her and I thought, maybe she's been raptured and I've been left behind. (laughs) Now, maybe that's more of an indictment on me because I think that I've been left behind and Fiona, but, you know, and and for those of you who've been to our house, you know that we've not got a very big house so it doesn't happen all that often, but, but this occasionally does happen. Do you know, And I do think, maybe, maybe it's happened and, I've been, and I'm have left here. And, I, and I'm, I'm always, um, um, I don't mean pleasantly surprised that she's not been raptured, but I'm always um, um, happy to find out that I have not been left behind. But, but I, I do say this to, to point out the fact that, that very often we don't really know what to do with Jesus' second coming, with any discussion about Jesus' second coming. And the, part of the reason for that is that we have neglected it in the church But even though we have neglected it in the church, the world at large has not neglected discussions about the end of the world, because there are mountains of publications, there are mountains of websites, there are mountains of of broadcasters, all producing material relating to the end times. But when we come to think about it, we realize that, that actually it's a topic that is neglected in light of our understanding of Christ's return, especially in the the wider context of Scripture and what Scripture says about when Jesus comes back. And therefore, as a result, when somebody comes along, either a a, a so-called kind of um, um, doomsday expert or or, or, um, somebody preaching about the end times or, or some prediction that the world will end on such and such a day and such and such a time, Some of us get called, get get kind of swept up in it because we think, well, this actually sounds quite persuasive. This guy or girl sounds like they know what they're talking about. And, you know, heaven forbid that I I, I should kind of be unprepared, so I'll get on board with it. Many well-meaning Christians get swept up in all these predictions about the end times because we don't know what else to do. But the end times actually beyond the difficulty that the church has, the end times actually brings out the full spectrum of um, doomsday entrepreneurship. Do you know, yes, you've got the the so-called Christian cults and the so-called Christian um, um, uh, doomsday kind of preachers who love predicting that current events will point to Jesus' return. Um, Whenever there's a war, whenever there's a rumor of a war, whenever there's any kind of political movement, anything to do with the Middle East, well, really, specifically anything to do with Israel, oh, creaky, that's it, the world is ending. But actually you've got many secular mystics And psychics out there Who like to predict the end times Back in um, um, uh, 1988 I realised before I was even born Back in 1988 There was a NASA engineer who produced a book Called 88 Reasons Why the World Will End in 1988 And I hate to tell you You don't need to read it Because I'll ruin the ending for you It didn't happen Uh, But then he changed his date to 1989 And then it was 1993 And then 1994 and it didn't happen. But, but, but also, you know? I, I, as part of my, my research, um, you can tell I had a lot of fun researching this topic this week, this passage this week. Um, for those of you who, who have animals, you can buy um, After the Rapture Pet Insurance. <laughs> Honestly, no. The com, There is a suggested donation of £70 that is obviously paid before you take out the policy because you're not going to be around to to pay afterwards, and and somebody, after the rapture, will go and will look after your pet for you. And people are making money off of this. Apparently, business is booming. And we laugh. We do. We laugh at this, because we can see that, you know, we can see it's a lot of nonsense, but people buy into this. People get on board with this stuff. People are right up for, for signing up to these things, because they do not have a good grasp of what Scripture says about the end of the world, and as I said, many well meaning Christians get sucked in because they think that these doomsday prophets must know something that they don 't, but in our passage today, we see that Paul wants to deal with the Thessalonian concern regarding christ 's return, not because that they have not because they, 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 they have some kind of um, unhealthy fixation on the end times, but because we read that Paul had obviously told them that as a result of their salvation, there will come a day when they are going to be with Christ forever. And the Thessalonian church want to know when forever is going to start. I think naturally, because we're curious, we want to know what's happening, we want to know what the future holds. And if somebody tells you, as part of this new faith, um, this new kind of thing that is Christianity, back in um, uh, 2,000 years ago, and actually, if somebody says, you're going to be with God forever, you want to know when that is going to be. But, it is helpful for us to think about this subject today, also in light of our studies over the past two weeks, when Gordon has been bringing to his First um, Thessalonians 4, because Gordon has been outlining something of the shape and the flavor of Christian life and its distinctiveness from the world around us in the past two weeks. He's been talking about what it is to live the Lord's way by looking at First Thessalonians 4. And if we are to be truly distinctive, then we need to have a a scripture-centered understanding of the reason that we live as we do, and that means and what that means. Sorry, in the light of our passage this morning, what all of that means. What what does it mean to live as Christ's people in light of the fact that Christ is coming back? And in short, our lives take the form that they do because Christ is returning. We believe that Christ is returning because Jesus promises that He will. And we affirm that when God promises that something will happen, then it actually does happen. Scripture is a testament to that. God says to his people, I am going to do this thing. And his people often say, I write, very good. I don't believe it. But what happens? God God fulfills his promise time and time and time again. So we can look at Jesus' promises of return. We can look at the, the times when he says that he's coming back and we see that actually he will come back. We do believe that he will come back. And we'll see that, God willing, instead of getting caught up in the hysteria and the concern and the anxiety that so often surrounds our thoughts about the end times and about Christ's return, we'll see that Paul actually points us to several ways in which we can be ready for the Lord's return and several ways in which we can um, adopt right and proper attitudes in terms of our understanding of it as well. And I say this because when we look at what Paul says to the church in Rome, when we're trying to understand the day of Christ's return, when we look at what Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see first and foremost... Actually, and I will return to this, we see first and foremost that the day of Christ's return is a day for anticipation. It's not a day for fear. It's not a day for anxiety. It's not a day for us to sit there and think, oh, I don't really know what's going to happen and I'm worried about it. But instead, we see that it is a day for anticipation and we should be looking forward to it. But let's get into see what Paul says. First of all, the first thing he says to the church in Thessalonica is that actually they should be prepared for the Lord's return. That they should expect the unexpected. That is, don't expect Jesus on a, on a specific date or a specific time. But instead, we should be endeavouring to be perpetually prepared. And this is not a, a kind of trite, um, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy, kind of prepared. But instead, Paul encourages the church towards service, serving one another, serving those outside the church, serving those in the community. And the kind of service that seeks to build up the body of believers that works to remind each of us that we have a role to play in Christ's church. The kind of service that says, actually, do you know, I'm going to do that because it will benefit the whole church. It's not just going to benefit me. I might not even enjoy doing it, but I'm going to serve because it benefits the body of Christ. And this is what it means when we say that we need to be living the distinctive life that Paul has encouraged the church to in, um, in, chapters, uh, four, in chapter 4, sorry, First Thessalonians. And we do so because we see the kind of description that Paul gives of Christ's return. He says, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to, it's going to be like a thief in the night. Now, a thief is not something you want to be putting out the red carpet for. It's not something you want to be welcoming in with open arms. It's not like having friends over where you open the door and welcome them in and try and make their visit as comfortable as possible. No, we want to try and ward off those who would seek to rob us. And whilst many of us haven't had the experience of being robbed, we do acknowledge that it is an ever-present reality. This is why we, why we, we, we go around and we lock our doors and we lock our windows and we put our alarms on at night, to try and ward off those who might try and break in. We try to mitigate that. And so it is with Christ's return. We should realize that Christ's return is an ever-present reality and that there are steps that we can and that we should be taking in order to be prepared. But notice what Paul says in verse 4. Christ's return will not surprise us like a thief. Because anyone who has been robbed will know that feeling Of, sorry, Christ's return will surprise us like a thief, because anyone who's been robbed will will know the feeling of fear and anxiety that comes with arriving home to find someone has been going through your things, or actually even worse—you know, you happen to be upstairs in bed and you hear someone downstairs who shouldn't be. And these are these are these are these are unwelcome experiences, and so it is with Christ's return. For the vast majority of people, the day of the Lord will be unwelcome and it will be unexpected. But for those of us who believe, for those of us who are saved, we see that it's more akin to to, to the woman going into labor. When pregnancy has gone as expected and everything is looking healthy and well, you normally have about nine months to prepare. You know that there is going to come a date when something is going to happen and all of a sudden you're going to go to hospital and you're going to come out with a baby. God willing, all things being well. You buy furniture, you pack your bags, decorate your rooms, but when the moment arrives, all of a sudden it's panic. Do you know, there's things going on and you don't know what to do. And, do you know, I think when I drove to the hospital with Fiona, I think it should have been a 23-minute journey and I think I did it in about 12 minutes. <laughs> but this is what it's like. You don't know what to do, and, 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 but you know, that you, you don't, you, it comes as a surprise when it happens, but you have been expecting it for nine months. This is the attitude that we should adopt in relation to Christ's return. And in order to prepare for Christ's return, we need to adopt a godly perspective to our world and to the things in it. That is, in many ways, we need to adopt a, a, a kind of short-term attitude paired with long-term planning. We see the, the, the Jesus telling the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. You've got a guy who's that's this abundance of wealth and abundance of possessions. And he says, you know, I'm just going to start living, living it easy because I don't really need to work anymore. So I'm going to sit back and relax and start enjoying my, my time, start enjoying my wealth, start enjoying all the things I've worked hard for. And God says to him, well, actually, you're not going to have the chance to do that because your life is getting taken off you tonight. We trust in God with the, we trust God with the substance and the stuff of our lives. And we realize that he is in control Psalm 139 tells us that God knows every move that we make, every step that we take, every word that we speak. He's in control. Here Danes are getting up and are going to bed, and ultimately he can take it all away if he chooses. Some of you say, um, um, you know, um, well, I see you tomorrow, and you'll say, well, God willing, yes. And that is the attitude that we should be adopting because we don't know when Christ will return, but actually we, we, we trust in God with the stuff and substance of our lives and we need to be prepared but whilst we do that we don't need to panic we don't need to, to 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 worry we don't need to get overly anxious or we don't need to get caught up in the hysteria about Christ's return because we see that God is our only and our complete security Paul says in verse three that the thief will come in the night whilst all around us people are saying that there is peace and safety and we recognize that our world readily wants us, wants to, to get us on board with the idea that we can trust in the institutions that we surround ourselves with. And those people that we vote into power and, and, and place our trust in. These are people that, that we can rely on. These are people who will, who will um, make our world better and who will provide us with the peace and security that we want. However, both recent and ancient history shows us and demonstrates to us that that's a nonsense, that these things that our world presents to us are fallible. Our existence is precarious and no person or or organisation this side of heaven can guarantee anything at all, let alone peace and safety. Despite the promises of banks, they can't guarantee either the amount of money in my bank account nor the value of it. All it takes is one recession or, 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 or one particularly bad case of inflation for money to be worthless. Despite the promises of social care provisions, they cannot promise that our future Will, be, will not be without difficulty. You see the number of people who are having to rely on food banks and the whole universal credit mess that is going on to show that that's true. And despite the posturing of our, of our politicians and our governments, we see that no matter the size of our military or the, the restrictions that they impose at our borders, we are still at risk of terrorist attack and threat of war. And ever, but, you know, These things are ever-present, not only in our own country, but all around the world. This week, is, um, in light of the attack on Iran, Donald Trump posted a tweet saying, um, Do "You know, we have the biggest, and the best, and the greatest military in the world." And it might be true; it might well be true. But he did so in order to reassure those who follow him, to reassure those who support him. That actually, if we have the best military, then that means actually that nobody can touch us. He was doing the very thing that was being promi- that, that, that Paul was saying in here. He was promising peace and security but he can't guarantee it. We so often like to place our trust in the things of our world because we can see them and we can feel them. We can go and visit a bank or we can see our politicians on the news, but when we boil it down, we see that we, we simply surround ourselves with idols and with institutions of our own making, only to be let down time and time and time again. And the test of the true Christian life that we have been speaking of over the past weeks is when we take our faith and our hope and our trust out of the things of this world and instead place them in the living God who assures us that he will return. Because when we do so, actually our preoccupation with these times and dates, our preoccupation with exactly when will Christ return and what will that look like, these things fade. If we know that our hope is placed in the God who gives us a reason to hope, then we have an assurance of a future spent with him. If we know that our faith is placed in the God who is not fleeting and not inconsistent but is the same yesterday and today and forever. If we know that our trust is placed in the God who is in control of the things and the people that we are so ready to trust in. If we know that the God that we are expecting and longing to return in order to save and judge then we don't need to speculate about times or dates. We don't need to concern ourselves with the specifics of God's return and all that we need to know is that he is coming back because he said he would the God that we trust and who has continually proven that he is trustworthy even when sometimes we are unsure as to whether he is or not that God has promised that he will return that God has assured us that he will return and so as I said at the beginning we see that Christ's return is a cause for anticipation it shouldn't cause us to be afraid, or it shouldn't cause us to be anxious, or it shouldn't cause us to be worried about the details. Instead, we should be longing for the day when he will come back. And, and, and I, I realize that for some of us this can be difficult, because there, there is so much fear and anxiety tied up with the Lord's return. And again, as I said, this is largely a result of listening to and absorbing a lot of speculation about the end times that is not rooted in Scripture but is instead based more on, on Hollywood movies or, or, or pamphlets or, or, or kind of books that are produced that have got no basis in Scripture. But we have this vision of God's wrath that is coming that is often tied up with some of the stuff that we read in Revelation and then this eclipses everything else that we might know or might think about the end times. We think that it's going to, God is going to come back and it's um, suddenly going to be um, hellfire and brimstone left and right. But when we see that Paul assures us that yes, there will be an element of wrath included in Christ's return, actually in verse 9 he says, We see that we are not appointed to suffer God's wrath, but instead we have been appointed to the fullness of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, this is the best news in this whole passage. This is the best news in this whole passage. Yes, it is good news that Jesus is returning, but the best news in this passage is this. Because so much of what we have read has been pointing to what is going to happen, to things that are yet to come. But verses 9 and 10 point us to the things that have already happened, to the things that are true today, that are true right now, right this moment, for each and every single one of us. And we don't need to speculate. We know that Christ died to save us and that we are already saved from the coming judgment. But this is the best news in this passage because when we look back over our lives, we see that there is nothing that is included as part of our lives. There's nothing that we have done that justifies our salvation in Jesus. Instead, actually, we, we, we deserve the wrath that is coming. We deserve the judgment that is coming. But Christ's death and his resurrection keep us from that for all time. Jesus has done the hard work needed to keep us safe from the wrath of God and there's nothing that we can do to add or subtract from that. And I actually, I hope this morning that is immensely liberating for you because it demonstrates to us that our actions do not keep us from salvation and nor do they help us to earn our salvation. There is nothing that we can do that can add or subtract to the fact that we have been saved by Jesus. So, on the day that Christ does return in glory, whenever that may be, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next week, whether it's a thousand years from now, on the day that he does return in glory, we will be able to look around, not in fear and trembling, but think, in thinking, you know, what's going on? What's going to happen to me? But instead, we will be able to look around us and know that the fullness of our salvation, the reality of our hope is imminent. It has arrived. It's tempting to get sucked into all the nonsense and all the the, 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 um, hysteria surrounding the end times. But as we've seen time and time again, predictions offered by people, so-called end times experts, these predictions repeatedly fall short of the mark. Past predictions, and um, I I will say with some level of certainty that any future predictions count for precisely nothing. If somebody comes to you and says, Jesus will return on the 21st of June 2020, well, he might return on the 21st of June 2020, but they don't know that. Any speculation about the return of Christ are, quite frankly, a waste of resources, and when they come from so-called Christians or Christian cults, they do little more than to bring churches, Christ's church into disrepute. They make us a laughing stock. But whilst that may be the case, actually these predictions about the second coming offer us, as a, offer us a chance to, as Paul says, to remain sober-minded. And it allows us to explain the truth of Jesus' first coming. Because if people are going around predicting the second coming and handing out dates and times like Sweeties, then they obviously don't have a good grasp of what Christ came to do when he first arrived. These predictions give us a good opportunity to tell the truth of the gospel and to reflect the distinctiveness in our own lives. The the hymn, it is well with my soul, many of you will know it. The, 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 the words that we sing today are slightly different from the original words, but they do give us a, a good and a clear sense of our position in terms of Christ's return. The writer wrote, you know, my sin, or the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And then a couple of verses later, he says, in relation to that, but Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. That is what we should be singing in relation to the return of Jesus Christ. We should not be worrying, we should not be trembling, we should not be afraid, but we know that Jesus has saved us from the wrath that is coming, and we know that Jesus has, when he does return, he will offer us, and he will allow us, and he will call us to enter into the fullness of our salvation that we know and trust in him. This is the assurance that we have in the face of Christ's return. Because we will see our salvation realized in its fullness on that day. Amen.